We're looking today at the prayers of Daniel the prophet. Now, if you notice that scripture reading, that was not Daniel praying, that was Nebuchadnezzar praying after his conversion. But we're going to look at Daniel in just a very brief way. That's all we can do. There's so much material you could talk about on Daniel and prayer, but we will look briefly at it. First of all, some up-to-date news uh, mandates. Are they unconstitutional? The Supreme Court said yes. This just happened like the 13th. For those of you that may not be quite up on things, it was a six to three decision um, for the majority of businesses, not for healthcare. Healthcare workers would wish that it went the other way, at least some of them. Maybe others would wish it or glad that it went the way it went, but that's uh, what took place. And then even more recently, the 26th, uh, the Biden administration officially withdrew a rule that would require workers at big companies to get vaccinated or face regular COVID testing requirements. So that's the news on that as we go forward. Now there's still the, the push to vaccinate young children. And so each person then needs to weigh out the risk versus benefits. I mean, whether it's a child or anybody else, but if it's your child, then it's your job to do that. And so, um, so that's still an ongoing thing. And may the Lord give you wisdom um, exactly which direction to go in each case. Because God would have you and I have life and life more abundantly that your joy may be full. And here's another picture. Don't think about moving to Florida. We've already lost too many members to Florida, but um, had to put that one in there. All right, today our health topic is vervain. Um, this is an herb that you can buy online. Verbena officinalis is the one grown in Europe primarily. And verbena hastata or blue vervain is grown here in the United States, used widely by the uh, Native American Indians for its health benefits. There's a picture of it. Now you look at that leaf on the one side and it looks a little bit like another leaf, but it's not. That's actually vervain. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> vervain, uh, Jethro Kloss says, is one of the most wonderful gifts of God in the healing of diseases. The herb should be in every home ready for use immediately when needed. Uh, one of its nicknames is Herb of the Cross because certain sources state that this was used to stop Jesus bleeding after he was taken off the cross. Of course, this is, we don't know about this, but <clears throat> it was also used by the ancient Egyptians, Chinese, and um, also Hippocrates, the father of medicine. What is it good for? Well, a lot of stuff. Uh, it's a tonic, which means it's good for everything, basically sudorific or sweating, so for fever, although I've never sweated after drinking it, so I'm not sure how that works. Uh, expectorant for coughs, vulnerary for wound care. Uh, it's a nervine for stress and mood swings. Vermifuge, which means it's good for verms, no, worms, sorry. Uh, that's another pronunciation. Insomnia, obviously sleep issues. It is also an anticonvulsant and has been used successfully for seizures and epilepsy. So something to keep in mind there. Um, also, uh, amenagogue, which is women's issues. We'll look at that briefly in another slide here. There's evidence that it may reduce anxiety and insomnia and prevent the occurrence of epileptic seizures. Know anybody that has epilepsy? 
I would just say, obviously, all this disclaimer, see your doctor, um, but this is an herb that doesn't really contradict or uh, contraindicate very much, but obviously, always see your doctor. The calming effects may result from a sugar molecule in vervain, known as verbenalin, <clears throat> which some believe has psychoactive properties. Again, the sleep-promoting activity has to do with several um, iridoids or chemicals that defend against pathogens that's in vervain, such as hetasticide and verbenalin, as we mentioned before. Verbascoside is actually a, a polyphenol. It's another component. So this is sort of the pharmacological makeup of vervain. It's good stuff. I've taken it to many people in this church and one of the pastors that used to pastor here, um, Mario Riadegui, I guess I'll give his name. Uh, he swears by it. He's bought it himself now and uh, because um, it does, if you can catch a cold early, uh, especially if it's, if it's bacterial based, um, then uh, this stuff is tremendous. It's anti-inflammatory and as I said, antibacterial. Um, Again, on swelling, <clears throat> it was as effective as the anti-inflammatory drugs for swelling, not so much with pain, far less effective there. Um, excellent for whooping cough, uh, pneumonia, and again, that's probably more the bacterial um, type, but it may work on the others also. Asthma will expel phlegm from the throat and chest, produces perspiration. Like I said, I've never sweated after drinking it, but um, that's what they say. Uh, excellent colds and fevers. And again, we'll, uh, we'll pretty much take care of a cold in one day if you catch it early. Externally, great on sores, cuts. Internally for all female troubles, increasing menstrual flow. Good in removing bowel, colon, bladder obstructions. And in reversing enlarged appendix, i.e. appendicitis. <clears throat> Treating infections has become increasingly difficult with this thing called antibiotic resistance. Vervain has long been used to treat upper respiratory and UTI infections and clearly has antimicrobial properties. And even more, vervain uh, in regard to bacteria uh, was able to eradicate 24 strains of disease-causing bacteria, a study found, and is also effective in eradicating the bacteria in the lung tissue, um, i.e. pulmonary tuberculosis. So this is a great, a great thing. Goes better, gets better than that, colorectal cancer. Study done in 2017 from China reported that the polysaccharides stop the spread or replication of colorectal cells by preventing them from attaching to healthy cells. And thus, without the means <clears throat> to bind to healthy cells, a tumor cannot metastasize and invade organs. Limited research suggests that vervain polysaccharides <clears throat> could help isolate and control tumors in people with colorectal cancer. So this is a great, great herb to have around the house for so many things. God would have us prosper, 3 John 2 says, and be in health even as your soul prospers. Rejoice in the Lord always, God says. And again, he says rejoice. Let us pray. Father in heaven, 
as we talk about this thing called prayer and this man called Daniel. Come especially near to each of our hearts and minds. Teach us, Lord, about this man Daniel and what motivated him to be such a man of prayer because we need prayer so desperately in these last days. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Daniel chapter 1. If you're not there yet, you can open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1, the prayers of Daniel the prophets. Now, I think sometimes when we look at Daniel, we think, well, that guy was in another, I mean, he was on another level. You know, I can't ever get to that level. Well, I would say you can get to that level, and God wants us to get to that level. But what is it that motivated Daniel? What was in his heart? Um, what made him the man that he was? Well, he was saved in the same way we are saved, and that's important to know. The great plan of redemption of a fallen race was wrought out in the life of Christ in human flesh. We talked about this before, and it's a hard concept to get. Quite frankly, you have to get it by faith, I would say. And that is that Christ, in essence, took the whole world into himself and wrought out a redemption for mankind. I picture it as a pregnant mom, right? The baby's in the mom. And so what affects the mom affects the baby. That's what happened. What affected Christ on his life, in his life, affected you. By his obedience to all the commandments of God, Christ wrought out a redemption for men, that is mankind. This was not done by going out of himself to another, but by taking humanity into himself. Thus Christ gave to humanity an existence out of himself. That's deep, isn't it? To bring humanity into Christ, to bring the fallen race into oneness with divinity is the work of redemption. And oh, what a redeemer we have today. Another thing to think about with Daniel, Daniel was asked to do a lot, you could say. He was put in a lot of situations and he came out on top um, and following God pretty much every time that we have listed. But remember this about God, right? All his biddings are what? Enabling. So what does that mean? That means he never asks us to do anything without supplying the grace and power to do the very thing. Come on and say amen if that's good news. And it makes sense, doesn't it? You wouldn't send your child out in the backyard to do some job and not give them the right tools, right? God gave us the tools to do what he asks us to do. In every case, all his biddings are enablings. Well, Daniel, as he applied this to his life, we see he was divested of self, he was devoted to God, and he was dependent upon God's promises. That's how Daniel came through. That's how we will come through as we move forward. And I love this quote. The approval of God was dearer to him than the favor of the most powerful earthly potentate, dearer than life itself. How is it with you, my friend? Do you realize that you have the approval of God? Ephesians 1 says, we are accepted in the beloved. You've already been accepted. 
His approval should mean more than anybody's approval on earth. Amen? And if we have his approval, why do we have to impress people here? Amen? He determined to stand firm in his integrity and let the result be what it might. So four things we look at in just the brief time we have here this morning. Daniel's conviction, it's chapter one. His compassion, chapter two. His commitment to prayer, especially chapter six, to God and to prayer. And then his confession, that is corporate confession in Daniel chapter nine. All right, well, here we go. Daniel chapter one, let's go there now. And you know the context. Daniel is put in the University of Babylon. This was no less than indoctrination and Babylonian brainwashing that was taking place. And yet he stood firm. Now, there's some things he didn't, I mean, they changed his name. They said, you're going to attend this Babylonian university for three years. Went along with all that. But when it came to what was put in his body, especially food offered to idols and wine, he said, no. He said, that's where I make a stand. Now, where is it with you that you make a stand? Do you make stands? <laughs> sure you do. And Daniel certainly did. And that's where we get to verse 8, where Daniel says this. He says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile. That word's in that verse twice. So this was not just something that, you know, sort of a preference. No, no, this was a matter of conscience to Daniel, right? He would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So Daniel was a man of conviction and not compromise. He said, enough is enough. He says, this is where I stand. Now, I will relate this at least momentarily to the vaccine and now that mandate is subsided. But the vaccine in general, if you are convicted to take the vaccine and God has given you peace to do so, I say, take the vaccine. <laughs> if God has convicted you and given you peace. If he has not, then I say, I'm happy to work with you for a religious exemption, whatever it takes for you not to. Let God be your conscience. Don't let anybody, uh, I mean, do your own risk-benefit analysis and, and let God lead you, and he will lead you. I think for some, um, this is really their day. I mean, this is their issue. I mean, they are stand. they're like, I, you know, God has put this in my heart, and this is preparing me, and uh, I, don't, I don't get in the way of that. Um, so either way, I think uh, let God lead you. That's what Daniel did. He was a man of conviction and not compromise. And I want you to see what happens in verse 9, because this is very interesting. And I learned something from this verse. I've read it many times, mostly from the King James, but uh, this is from the New American Standard, I believe, and it puts it this way in regards to his relationship with Melzar, the captain of the king's uh, guard there. It says, now God granted Daniel favor 
That word favor, for those that know that word in the Old Testament, it's, it's chesed or chesed, which means loving kindness. It's, it's the covenant love of God for his people. It's only used twice in the book of Daniel. It'll be in chapter 9-2, which we'll get to before we close. God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. Now, that is a little different from the way I had read it before. I had read it, well, he gave Daniel favor with Melzar, which is true also. But this says something else, something additional. God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander. So it's as if the commander saw in Daniel the love of God, the compassion of God, the kindness of God, the covenant love of God. This is one reason I think so, because of this statement, which I read this week. And a heathen nation, in them, sorry, in them, that is Daniel and his three companions, a heathen nation beheld an illustration of the goodness and beneficence of God, his hesed, and of the love of Christ. So hesed or chesed, that word could almost be like agape in the New Testament in the Greek. In their experience, we have an instance of triumph, of principle over temptation, of purity over depravity, of devotion and loyalty over atheism and idolatry. So they saw this in these people. Oh, that God might see it in us. Amen. In faith, they prayed for wisdom and they lived their prayers. I love that. Isn't that balanced, right? They prayed as if it was all on God. But when it came to their lives, then they lived as if it was on them. That's how one of our old administrators used to explain it. They placed themselves where God could bless them. They avoided that which would weaken their powers and improved every opportunity to become intelligent in all lines of learning. They sought to acquire knowledge for one purpose— that God Almighty might be honored. Amen? That they might honor God. Again, speaking uh, of Daniel and this situation from uh, prophets and kings, true success in any line of work is not the result of chance or accident or destiny. It is the outworking of God's providences That's God's way of remaining anonymous, right? God's working, but you don't see him per se. The reward of faith and discretion, of virtue and perseverance. While God was working in Daniel and his companions to will and to do of his good pleasure, they were working out their salvation. Philippians 2, right? God will work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Great statement there. The Hebrew worthies were men of like passions like ourselves. You might say, well, Daniel, that's just a high bar. I don't know that anybody will ever get there. Well, we, we can with God's grace, right? The Hebrew worthies were men of like passions with ourselves, yet notwithstanding the seductive influences of the court of Babylon, they stood firm because they depended upon a strength that is infinite. God will be our strength in every situation. 
The same mighty truths that were revealed through these men, God desires to reveal through the youth and children today. The life of Daniel and his fellows is a demonstration of what he will do for those who yield themselves to him and with a whole heart seek to accomplish his purpose. That's Daniel in chapter 1 as he stands and we know the result of that. Daniel chapter 2, I see Daniel here as a man of compassion, not counterblow. Daniel chapter 2, we know the story. Nebuchadnezzar dreamed a dream, but he couldn't remember the dream. So he got all of his astrologers, his magicians, everybody together and said, look, tell me the dream or I'm going to burn up your houses and you're basically toast also. To which they said, that's not really fair, king. Verse 11 of chapter 2 now. It is a rare thing that the king requires, and there's none other that can show it before the king except the gods. And they were supposed to be in touch with the gods, so this is basically saying, yeah, we, we're not. Who, except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So God to them was far away. He doesn't dwell with flesh. Oh, but he does, and he did through Christ. But this was their answer. And so their lives were on the line. Possibly some of them lost their lives because the decree went out. And I believe it was probably started from what we see in Scripture there. Verse 12, for this cause, the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch. This is the guy that's going out to do the slaying. <clears throat> the captain of the king's guard, which had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon, asking why so hasty a decree. Arioch explains it. Verse 16, then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he might give him time and that he would show him the interpretation. So now he's got himself, the king said yes, now he's got himself in a place where he's got to know this interpretation. He doesn't know it yet. So what does he do? Prays. He prays. God hears. Skip down to verse 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. This might have been a good time to get a raise, right? He could have said, yeah, I, I know the answer. I, I took care of this. No, no. He gave the praise where it was deserved to God above. God is the one who changes times and seasons, removes kings and sets them up. He gives wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know not. Down to verse 24. Therefore, Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said unto him, destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me or take me in before the king 
and I will show the interpretation. Now, he isn't just thinking about his own skin here, right? He's thinking about the wise men. These wise men were probably not buddies of his, right? They were competing with him. They were probably not on the greatest of terms. But he said, destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Take me, take me before the king. Christ, it reminds me of Christ, right? Stepping between the living and the dead and saying, let the punishment fall on me. What Christ did for us as he sweat great drops of blood there in Gethsemane as the full moon shone through a cloudless sky. The heart of God yearns over his earthly children. That's you. You could put your name in there. The heart of God yearns over you with a love stronger than death. In giving up his son, he poured out to us all of heaven in one gift. Oh, let us contemplate this amazing sacrifice that has been made for us. What more could he do? Let us place ourselves in right relation to him who has loved us with such amazing love. Amen? And that's what Daniel was sort of representing there. He was like, no, no, don't, don't take out the wise men. He was a man of compassion. He was also a man of conviction, not complacency. And that's chapter six. Oh, we all know the story. Daniel in the lion's den. And Daniel was, of course, being uh, promoted. The others didn't like it. And they said, we need to get this guy somehow or another. And if we get him, the only way we're going to get him is in relation to his father's law. That's what it says in verse 5. We shall not find any occasion, Daniel 6, 5, against Daniel except to find it against him concerning the law of his God. And so they trick, Darius is on the throne now, they trick Darius using pride. Oh, surely no one should pray to anybody except you, great Darius. That's true. And he got himself in a pickle, did he not? One which he wished he wouldn't have done. So the decree went forward. Verse 10, Daniel changed his whole life, closed his window, stopped praying. Did he? No. <laughs> no, he did the same thing he'd always done. Verse 10, now Daniel knew that the writing was signed and he went into his house, his windows being open in the chamber toward Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime or as he did before. He changed nothing. Now is praying with your windows open one of the Ten Commandments, would you say? It's not, right? But it was a matter of conscience to Daniel. Follow where your conscience leads. Don't be afraid to let the struggle happen, right? Struggling is good for us <clears throat> most of the time. And so Daniel was a man who wasn't willing to back down from what he believed. How about you today? How about me? Of course, we know what happened. <clears throat> Skip down to verse 16. 
Of course, the king was completely out of sorts because he really liked Daniel, really didn't want this to happen. The king spake and said, Daniel, thy God whom you serve continually, he will deliver thee. So by faith, he said that. He still sent him to the lion's den, however. <clears throat> and then skip down to verse 20. And when he came to the den, <clears throat> that is the king, and by the way, he was fasting. He was really concerned about this. Cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel and spake and said, Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the, and I love that next phrase, living God. You serve today, I serve today a living God. Amen? A God who can help, a God who is close. O Daniel, servant of the living God. God is thy God, whom thou servest continually. Was he able to deliver you from the lion's den? That was kind of late to ask that question, right? But, of course, he was able. Skip down to verse 25, because now Darius and the kings kind of had a habit of doing this, didn't they? Nebuchadnezzar kind of did too. Made a decree now that in every nation of his kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is, and there it is again, the living God. He's acknowledging it. God is the living God. This God we serve in Christianity is the living God. And steadfast forever in his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be ever or even unto the end. He delivers. He rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and in earth. <clears throat> who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospers in that situation. He was a man of conviction and not complacency. God wants to give us these same strengths and traits of character. And of course, it's all tied together to prayer, which is where we close this sermon material as we look at Daniel chapter 9. So flip over there where we see Daniel is a man of confession, not criticism. Now, having said that, is there a time to point out faults, potentially one-on-one -on -one to others or whatever? I mean, yeah, it, especially if you're trying to help the person, right? If it's constructive criticism, but too much of our criticism is not that, right? When it comes to the church, when it comes to the nation, when it comes to our own families, when it comes to other institutions, it's very easy to throw stones, isn't it? It's very easy to throw stones. Now, could it be that some of the things that we're saying are true? Yes, indeed. But we must remember that when we're pointing fingers, what's happening? There's four more looking back at me. <laughs> and so criticism rarely makes a positive effect, right? You can call it constructive criticism. But Daniel showed us how to say things about the nation, about his people, about the church, and say it in a way that is truly positive. Now, he's still saying the truth, so it's still going to cut, right? It's still going to hurt a little, but it's meant to heal when you do a surgery, right? There's cutting that goes on, but it's cutting for healing. Daniel was a man of corporate confession, we could say. And let's look 
now at Daniel just briefly here. He'd been studying the scripture. Again, as it comes to prayer, we see that Bible study and prayer go together. He'd been studying the scriptures. He'd realized that they're near the end, the fulfillment of the 70-year prophecy. And so Daniel was serious about this prayer. Verse 3, I set my face <clears throat> under the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said. So here his prayer starts, verse 4. <clears throat> o Lord, great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned. Oh, that's so crucial because when we want to point things out, even in our own institutions, what do we usually say? Well, they, right? It's not we, it's they. They did this. Why don't they get it right? Daniel had a different spirit about him. <laughs> he said we. It's as if he was part of the corporate body. It's as if he had solidarity with the body. He felt as if he had done it in a sense, even though he hadn't done anything. Only God can give us that kind of spirit and that kind of love that we say we instead of they. We have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedly, we have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts, from thy judgments. Neither have we listened to your servants, the prophets. He was a prophet himself and he's saying, we haven't listened to the prophets, we, which spake, in the name of our, or to our kings and princes, to our fathers and to all the people. Verse 7, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, confusion of faces. We're in Babylon. That's confusion. We deserve this. We, I deserve it, Lord. This day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, unto all Israel, any near that are far off throughout all the countries, whether they're driven <clears throat> because of their trespasses, and they have trespassed against thee. And that's where all sin is against, right? It's against God. Sin is against God. That's why we go to him and ask for forgiveness. Now, we may sin against a person too, and that needs to be made right. But sin is against your God. O oh Lord, to us belongs confusion of face, verse 8 because we have sinned against thee. So this is the spirit in which we are to point out wrongs against anybody, right? Against others, against nations, against a church situation. <clears throat> Some would like to point out wrongs against the Adventist church about stands they've taken. And I won't even go into there's one that I'm thinking of that's quite recent, but, but it's not the only one, right? There's many out there and from different sides, you know, well, no, you know, on this side, I, you know, I don't like that. And, you know, they did this. How about saying we? How about saying we? You know, something's got to happen in this church before Jesus comes. We must learn this lesson 
the lesson of we, this corporate solidarity. We're not looking down at others. It's we, we, we. Doesn't mean we don't point things out. There is certainly a time for that. When we look at our church, things could be different. Obviously, both locally and corporately at the General Conference, this statement I think of from Testimonies, Volume 5, <clears throat> the same disobedience and failure which were seen in the Jewish church have characterized in a greater degree the people who have had this great light from heaven in the last messages of warning. That's specifically, um, well, I'll just leave that there. Shall we let the history of Israel be repeated in our experience? Shall we, like them, squander our opportunities and privileges until God shall permit? What did he permit for Israel? Well, they were in bondage. Shall we, like them, squander our opportunities and privileges <clears throat> Excuse me. until God shall permit oppression and persecution to come upon us? May it never be. May it not be. Will the work which might be performed in peace and comparative prosperity be left undone until it must be performed in the days of darkness under the pressure and trial of persecution? It's a very serious question, isn't it? And we need to pray. There is a terrible amount of guilt for which the church is responsible. So that's a true statement, isn't it? We have sinned. We have fallen short. We have delayed the Lord's coming. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Because <laughs> when you think about his heart, what's going on in God's heart? Do you ever, when you pray, do you ever think to pray, how are you doing today, God? How are you doing? Because he sees it all. Everything that you could imagine that you see that it's like makes your stomach a little wheezy. God sees it all. If we saw even a, a, a little minuscule part of it, it would crush us. But he sees it all. And his dear heart soon will not have that pain any longer. Amen? How many of you would like to hasten that day that God's heart may be made full again? Well, I'm with you. And may God give us a sweet, sweet spirit um, as we pray, as we say, we, Lord, we. We don't, we don't say, oh, you know, we don't have this holier-than-thou attitude about ourselves or about the general conference, that they can do no wrong. That's just not the case. But when we point things out, we have this spirit about us, this sweet, sweet spirit. <clears throat>